Much of the modern American church has fumbled the ball. It's the apostasy that the Apostle Paul said would happen before the Antichrist and the return of Christ. Much of the modern American church has actually fumbled the ball. Listen, and when they did, they've actually gone on to defense. They fumbled the ball. They dropped the Bible. The very message of God that we were ordained to take into the enemy's side of the field. The very light that we were ordained to carry into the darkness of Satan's world. They dropped it. They dropped it. Why? It became, it, came, it became politically incorrect. It became offensive. Of course it's offensive. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, headed for destruction. But you, right? You, you believe it's the very word of God, right? The power of God to redeem you, to make you a priest in this kingdom that's coming, right? So I began today with this statement. I believe that what I hold in my hand, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the only physical source of absolute truth on the earth. And on this, this church takes its stand. We're willing to commit our lives to this truth, that this is the literal Word of God. And today we pick up this Word and we advance into the into the kingdom that doesn't acknowledge that truth, understanding there's going to be opposition to that truth. And today we're going to tackle a, a particular topic, suffering. This topic is a defining moment in the life of believers and unbelievers. In fact, this topic of suffering can either turn a person into a deeper relationship with Christ or turn them away from God altogether. I remember years ago reading a story about Charles Darwin, the, the founder of the theory of evolution. And Charles Darwin at one point was a believer in Christ. And he had a sister that died a tragic death, a horrible death of suffering. And it was her suffering and her eventual death that turned Charles Darwin into the man that led the world into the darkness of evolution. It turned him totally away from God. Suffering can be what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief moment. It's the idea that suffering is a crossroads. We walk up to an intersection and there's a right turn and there's a left turn. You can't go back, you can't go forward, you're going to go right or you're going to go left. And it is in that moment, God is one way to the right, and the world or away from God is the other way. And in that moment, that crisis of belief moment, you have to decide who you are and what you believe to be true. Suffering puts us in that crossroads. You let a great hardship of physical suffering, spiritual suffering, emotional suffering, It'll, it'll throw you into the intersection. In that moment, you're going to decide who you are, what you believe. You'll turn toward God or you'll turn away from Him. Suffering has the power to purify the human heart or destroy the human heart. Every human will experience a time of suffering in their lifetime. 
It's inevitable. We live in a fallen world. Suffering is real. The question isn't if, but when and how much. Is this a spiritual issue? Yes, it is. Suffering is an issue of faith and how we respond to human suffering, how we respond in that crisis of belief moment of suffering is an issue of salvation because it's an issue of in that moment, we're deciding who we are and what we believe to be true. So let's read 2 Timothy 2.3. Paul's writing to young Timothy. He's writing to the church. And he says, endure suffering along with me. Now understand that when Paul writes this, he's in prison. And they're about to cut his head off. And he says, endure it. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he's acknowledging that there's a spiritual war that requires suffering as we journey toward a relationship with God and eventually the promised land. So how will we respond to suffering in this life? And why does God allow suffering? These questions go down deep into the core of our faith in God. So let's examine these questions. We're going to use 1 Peter as our foundation to explore the topic of suffering today. 1 Peter 3.13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Let that just fundamentally roll in your mind. Who would want to harm you if you're a good person? If you never did anything wrong to them, you never slandered them, you never harmed them, you never did anything against them, who would want to harm you for doing good? You want the short answer? Satan. He doesn't care whether you do good or don't do good. There's a spiritual war. So do good people suffer? Is it necessary? Do we suffer only because of our bad choices? Or, or do good people and good choices still have to deal with suffering in this life? Why would anyone want to bring suffering upon good people? It just doesn't make any sense. Do you know about the spirit war? Do you understand that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle that's raging around us in the heavenly realms? We can't see them. Spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Do you understand that there's an enemy of God that has an authority and power on the earth today? Did Jesus suffer? Was he good? Was there anybody as good as him? But yet he suffered. Why? What did Jesus do to cause him to suffer so? And understand something as we begin this journey together. Those who didn't receive him hated him. Those who received him loved him. Same's true today. But those who reject him despise him. In John 15, here's what Jesus says. And, and I want you to notice four times the phrase the world or this world. Four times. So we're talking about the world that we live in. 
If the world hates you, remember that it hated me, Jesus, first. The world, there it comes again, would love you as one of its own if you belonged to the world. But you're no longer part of the world. There it is again. I chose you to come out of the world so the world hates you. So let's lay down a spiritual truth foundation on the issue of suffering. We will suffer for following Christ in this life. Now today I'm going to do something. Um, when it says the world four times, I'm going to label the world for today's message, today's context. I'm going to label the world as Babylon. And I want you to understand why I'm doing that because spiritually speaking, the present world we live in is Babylon. We're living in spiritual Babylon. Now, the word Babylon and the word Babel, when it goes back to the Tower of Babel, are actually the same word in the Hebrew language. And the issue of Babylon and the issue of Babel is this. It's the rebel world that rebel against God. They rebel against the Word of God. They rebel against the presence and power and purpose of God. So when I say that the world, let me read it that way. If the world, Babylon, hates you, remember that it hated me first. And if Babylon would, Babylon would love you as one of its own if, if you belonged to Babylon and became a Babylonian. But you are no longer part of Babylon. I chose you to come out of Babylon. So Babylon hates you. So let's lay down that foundation. We will suffer for Christ in Babylon. As long as we live in Babylon, this fallen rebel world that rebels against God, that rejects God's Word, we will suffer. That suffering will come from people who belong to this world, those who belong to Babylon, the Babylonians, spiritually speaking, are under the authority of Satan himself. The spirit war, the spirit of Antichrist, will be opposed to the spirit of Christ that works alongside the spirit of Antichrist in modern-day Babylon. We live in a fallen world. We live in modern-day Babylon, the rebel world. The origin of idolatry in the Bible is where? Babylon. That fact makes suffering inevitable. That is part of the fall itself. Hatred will be the motive in both cases. Hatred because of Jesus that will bring suffering. So let's go to 1 Peter 3.13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, while you live in Babylon, okay, we're all living in Babylon. Who will want to harm you if we're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right while living in Babylon, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats while you live in Babylon. We endure suffering because of this truth. 
Sometimes you need to say this out loud to yourself often. We endure suffering because of this truth. It's temporary, and God will reward us for it. Don't worry about the hatred of Satan and his followers, those who belong to this world called Babylon. Just continue to do that which is right, even if it brings suffering into your life. Just do what's right. Do what you know to be right. But why? Why must we suffer? Why must we suffer for the cause and the person of Christ? So let's begin with that foundation. Why, why, does, why do Christians living in Babylon, followers of Christ, have to suffer? We are countercultural. In fact, the church seems to struggle with this simple concept. We are countercultural. Let me give you a visual way of looking at that. We are headed in a totally different direction than the unbelieving world. If this is my right hand, if, if, if God is here, the church is walking in this direction. But understand that all the Babylon people, the people of this world, the Babylonians, spiritually speaking, they're all walking in this direction. And we're passing each other in these lanes of life, and the Babylonians are looking at us and saying, why won't you go with us? We are countercultural because in essence, we're not going to the same place. We're going in a different direction. And that becomes offensive to the crowds when we look at them and say, we're going the other way because that's where life is and you all are all walking to death. That's offensive. Babylon, this world, is not going in the same direction as we are. Let me give you this picture. We are modern day Daniels living in Babylon. You ever think about Daniel? Daniel was a young man when Babylon, literal Babylon, came and invaded Judah. And they took him as a prisoner, along with a bunch of other people, to the country of Babylon. And he became a slave in Babylon. He didn't choose to be a Babylonian. He didn't choose to live there. He just woke up there. He was taken by force to be there. And Daniel was a stranger. He was an alien. Now understand, Daniel is Jewish. He lived in Judah where the Jewish people lived. And now he's a Jewish man living in Babylon. He woke up in Babylon. And he was different in Babylon. He wasn't like the Babylonians. And that made them not like Daniel very much. Now that brings us to a, a, another issue, a broader issue of Daniel himself. Daniel was Jewish. And have you ever thought about the idea that since the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the time that follows the Jewish people, there's always been historically a hatred for the Jewish people. There, there's something about that that just kind of is mind-boggling to me. Until you understand the idea of countercultural. The idea of Daniel in Babylon. What made the Jewish people so offensive to the rest of the world? Even today. Even today. They won't go along with Babylon. They retain a separate identity. They remain separate. Even after the scattering of 70 AD for 2,000 years. 
You know, they, they retain this separate identity. They, don't, they just don't go along with the culture. They don't go along with the world. They just retain some separateness in their life. And I think about the church, that's pretty much what we, what we were called, not to be Jewish, but to not be Babylonians, to be different, to be different than the world. So we, the church, are like Daniel living in Babylon. We are counter-cultural. Well, the Bible says we are strangers and aliens living in this world, living in modern-day Babylon. So let me read it again. We have separated ourselves from the world of Babylon, and this in itself, because they're going this way and we're going this way, in itself, if, if I added nothing else to it, would bring suffering. Because we're traveling against the flow of the world. Let me repeat John 15, 18 again. Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me before it hated you. The world would love you if you'd go along with them. You know what that means? You've got to change directions. You've you got to stop going this way and you've got to turn and go that way. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to them, if you became Babylonian. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so the world hates you. Believers live their lives facing God and walking toward Him, looking and waiting for a future king. So when I'm walking this way, I want to tell you what I'm looking and waiting for. I'm looking for a future king and a future kingdom. I'm heading for a future king and a future kingdom. I, I don't want you to just think I'm walking this way. I'm going this way with expectancy and purpose. Unbelievers live their lives with their back turned toward God. Understand, when you walk this way and God is this way, your back is turned toward God. You're walking away from Him, and you're living in Babylon, the now kingdom that is under the rule of the devil. You are under the rule of Babylon, under the rule of the rebel kingdom of the earth. These two groups, believers and unbelievers, will end up in totally different places on the last day. Church, do you understand that? These two directions have two different outcomes. They do not end in the same destination. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. Heaven is not that way. Heaven is the way of God. There's two outcomes. To follow Christ, to face Him, and walk with Him. This will bring suffering. Simply because we are different than the unbelieving world. Let me give you a, a practical application today. Since October 7th, when Hamas invaded Israel and killed and raped and beheaded children, atrocities my mind cannot comprehend. Do you know what happened on, in the world, in the world overall, in college campuses in America? What happened is Jewish hatred started to rise. Did I miss something? Israel was invaded, and now people hate Israel. They hate the Jewish people. How does that make any sense? Because Israel, as a people, 
refused to go along. The Jewish people, since their existence, have always retained a separate identity. And that separate identity is offensive to those who live in Babylon. So even when they're invaded by a foreign army, suddenly they become the ones that are hated, suffering. Today, I want you to understand, take, put yourself in the story. We are like Daniel in Babylon. The church is living in present day Babylon world. There is going to be suffering. There's going to be opposition. Babylon will oppose us, but we know, listen carefully, Babylon is going to oppose us. The present world that's going this way and we're going this way is going to oppose us. But we have some inside information. Babylon will one day fall. Babylon will one day fall. Just like in the time of Daniel, it was a shadow of the eventual fall of the kingdoms of men. Babylon will one day fall. We serve in a kingdom that will never fall. We serve a king that is eternal. We do not serve Babylon, this world. We do not serve Babylon's king, Satan. We serve a different king. We live in a different kingdom, and we're facing a different direction. 1 Peter 3.15. Instead of following Babylon... We must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, why are you going this direction when everybody's going that direction? Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Can you see Daniel in that statement? They should be ashamed of themselves to accuse Daniel of anything. But the fact is, if you read the book of Daniel, the Babylonians hated Daniel. Why? Do you know what Daniel did that offended him? I wonder how many of you in the church could answer the question. What was it? You know about Daniel in the lion's den and how he was rescued from the lion's den. But why did they throw him in the lion's den? Do you know what he did that was so awful that they were really ready to, to murder him? Why? You know what he did? He went into his private room and he opened the window that faced Jerusalem and he got down on his knees and prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, facing Jerusalem three times a day. <gasps> Kill him! Why? Because you're not Babylonian. You don't go along with us and we don't do that. So unless you do what we do and become like us, you're offensive to us. Can you see it? They hated Daniel without a cause. They hated Daniel without a cause. And listen, church, they hated Jesus without a cause. And they will hate you if you follow Jesus without a cause. So don't give them cause. 
they'll hate you enough. You don't need to give them cause. You must listen carefully. In this Babylon world we live in, you must go along with Babylon to get along with Babylon. I want to say it again. I'm going to repeat this multiple times today. In the present Babylon world, you must go along with Babylon to get along with Babylon. Babylon wants you to become Babylonian. But as followers of Christ, we know that Babylonians are going the wrong way. And there's death this way. And if I join you and go along and get along with you, then I'm going to end up going the wrong way and bring death to me and my own house. In John 15, 23, Jesus says these words, Anyone who hates me also hates my Father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, no one else could, could do they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything that I did. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He healed the blind. Everything he did was good. Everything he did was good. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me. Because he wouldn't become like them. And because they hate me, they hate my father. And this fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. We will suffer as followers of Christ. But can I give you some advice? Don't pick a fight. You know, shouting, arguing with unbelievers, Babylonians, it just doesn't work. It makes it harder on the rest of us. They're going to hate you without a cause. So don't pick a fight. Share the hope and faith that you have in Jesus. But the Bible says what? Clearly do it in a gentle and respectful way. Don't give them cause to hate you. Why? Why, why do I say that? Why, why do you think the Bible counsels us that living in Babylon, still treat the Babylonians with respect and dignity and gentleness as you, as you tell them why you're going the other way? Why? Because there are some that are traveling toward Babylon that will switch sides and they'll join us and they'll change directions but you must do that in a gentle and respectful way remember Paul says it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong now all of that was to get to my main point today here it is Christ suffered Christ suffered and he was perfect so if you ask yourself, why do good people suffer? This is the end of the discussion. He's a perfect man. But he came to the, he came to Babylon. And the Babylonians put him to death. Christ suffered. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins. Once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. Now, Christ suffered even to the point of physical death. Our sins. Uh, can you imagine a perfect man having to suffer? We 
caused Jesus' suffering. Us. We did. We caused Jesus to suffer. Our sins caused the suffering of Christ. Jesus suffered to safely bring us home to God, reconciling us to the Father. Jesus suffered a horrible physical death on the cross. I can't even imagine a method of dying worse than the crucifixion. But the Father raised him to life in the Spirit. In this way, Jesus becomes our example. We must follow his example, which includes, church, listen carefully to me. If we are followers of Christ, we follow him. He's the example, which includes suffering in this modern day Babylon rebel world. 1 Peter 2.21. For God called you to do good. That's what Jesus did. And they hated him without a cause. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Jesus did what was right in the eyes of his Father. We're supposed to do the same, and that is going to bring some opposition, some suffering. Jesus suffered a physical death and was raised to life in the Spirit. Now, I want you to hold on to something because we're fixing to go deep. Ready? We're going to go deep. Jesus died on the cross. He suffered physical death. They hung him on a tree. He physically died. And what happened in these three days between his death and his resurrection? What happened? 1 Peter 3.19. By the way, I'm just walking straight through 1 Peter chapter 3. So he went, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. So he's, he's, he's dead. In the spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in the terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It, baptism, is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus suffered a physical death. And I'm going to ask you again. What happened in those three days? And why? In the Spirit, Jesus went and preached to spirits in prison. Old Testament saints. That had been covered by animal sacrifices. But not forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. In those three days in the grave, did Jesus go and preach to Noah and his family, revealing to them the blood of the lamb sacrifice? Yes, I believe he did. In those three days, did Jesus go to Abraham and those in paradise and preach to those who had the blood of animal sacrifices covering their sins, but not the blood of the lamb? Yes, I think he did. The Apostle Peter in this text connects the water 
of the flood to baptism. And isn't that interesting? Why would he do that? Why would Peter in the New Testament connect the water of the flood of Noah to the water of baptism in the church age? The same water that lifted the boat of Noah out of danger. The same water, the flood, that lifted Noah out of danger and the judgment drowned those who refused to hear the warning of God. It was the same water. The water saved Noah, and the water destroyed those who refused to go and follow the teaching of Noah. The same Jesus that lifts uh, lifts us up in the resurrection of the last day will be the same Jesus that cast unbelievers into hell. He's the same Jesus. It's the same water. Did the water save Noah? No. But believing the word about the water did save Noah. Today, will the water of baptism save you? No. But believing the word about the water of baptism will save you. And by the way, the word that reveals the water of baptism has a name. His name is Jesus. And what does Jesus, the word, the water in Babylon preach today? Not Noah's day, today. Mark 16, 15, the words of Jesus. Go into all the world. Can I translate it? Go into Babylon and preach the good news to everyone. You know why I began this way today? I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of truth on this earth. This is the truth inside of Babylon. We're supposed to go into all the world and preach this. But when you do it, they don't get very happy sometimes. They would hate you for it. And then he says something, and anyone who believes this and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be drowned. I actually put drowned in there. They'll be condemned. But if it's like it was in the days of Noah, it's the same meaning. Are you ready? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Judgment day is coming upon the earth. His kingdom's coming to the earth. Jesus told us it would be like it was in the days of Noah when the waters of faith lifted Noah and his family out of the judgment of God. Jesus is our living water of faith today. He's lifting us out of this present world and putting us on a pathway of salvation in an eternal kingdom of Christ. And I look around the room today, and I, want, I just want to take a, a side point. The church right now is filled with many that are struggling with the world, Babylon. Let me prove it to you. Everything I just read to you focused on an event called Noah and the flood. And if you bring up Noah and a flood in Babylon, they'll laugh at you. Because Babylon says there was no Noah and there was no flood. 
that the, wor the world was never judged by God by a great water, a flood. But if we bring it up, if the church brings up a worldwide flood of Noah, the judgment of God upon Noah, Babylon laughs at you. And here's my point. Some of you are Babylonians. Because you, in your heart, you don't believe what I just read. That you've already become Babylonians. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Really? Maybe it's the Jesus that you created yourself. Because Jesus says that it's going to rain. And it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. And only a few survived. Think about that. I have no idea where I'm at right now. <laughs> I do that sometimes when I go off on these little tangents. There's one verse remaining in 1 Peter chapter 3 after he's preached to Old Testament saints. Verse 22, now Christ has gone to heaven. He's preached to the Old Testament saints about the blood of the Lamb. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in a place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Listen carefully. He's preached to the Old Testament saints, revealed the, the ultimate sacrifice. It's not the blood of lambs or goats, but the blood of Christ. And then he goes and sits at the right hand of the Father, and all powers in heaven are they accept his authority except one. Except one evil one, Satan. All except the evil one, the rebel. The rebel who rules Babylon. He does not accept the authority of Christ. That's why he's the rebel who rules Babylon. Jesus suffered in the flesh. He was raised in the Spirit. Now He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All power, dominion, and authority belongs to the one who suffered. We are followers of Christ. And we too must suffer. We too will be raised to a new life without future suffering. If, if, it's a conditional statement. If we persevere in our time of testing. If we persevere in our time of suffering. Living as Daniel in Babylon will bring suffering and hardship. But we know that Babylon will one day fall. And the teaching of this current world, you must go along with Babylon to get along with Babylon. But the problem is, you know in advance that Babylon's going to fall. And if you go along with Babylon to get along with Babylon, you're going to fall as it was in the days of Noah. I warn you, this is where it gets hard. Physical suffering as the ultimate test of faith and perseverance. 1 Peter chapter 4 picks up here. It's the next verse in today's teaching. Verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself, church, with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer. 
For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. That verse is so powerful to me. I mean, that verse is so powerful. And much of my life, I admit, I did not understand it. I do now. I do now. Let me try to reveal it to you. And I don't even know that I can. You may have to go through something to get this. But let me try. This is Daniel being forced to live in Babylon. What what do you mean? If you've suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude. Be ready to suffer. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you are finished with sin. This is Daniel being forced to live in Babylon. He was taken as a slave to Babylon. He woke up in Babylon. He didn't want to go to Babylon. He's in Babylon. And he's a foreigner in Babylon. And he suffers because he's different than the Babylonians. It's hard when you're different than everyone around you. This is the Apostle Paul being forced to live with a thorn in his flesh. He didn't put a thorn in his flesh. God gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming prideful. This is every believer today that is forced to follow Jesus in modern-day Babylon. Let me, let, me, let me explain it. You did not choose your circumstances. You woke up in your circumstances. You woke up in Babylon. Paul woke up with a thorn in his flesh. Daniel woke up in a foreign ba- country. We, we woke up. We, we arrived in our circumstance, not because of our own doing, For the most part, we arrived in our circumstance because we live in a fallen world called Babylon. And this is our Garden of Gethsemane moment. When physical suffering comes to the point of death. And you haven't caused it. You didn't create Babylonian Babylonian opposition, but you lived there. You woke up in Babylon. This isn't you reaping the bad seeds you've sown in your life. This is just life. It just happens, and it's hard, and you suffer, and you have question after question after question is, why am I suffering now? Why is this so hard? I want you to think about Jesus in the garden. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He knows. He already knows. Everything's been revealed to him. He knows that tomorrow they're going to hang me on a cross and they're going to put me to death. There's going to be six hours of great suffering. He knows. And he has done nothing deserving of physical suffering. Nothing. He's a perfect man. And yet the Father has called Jesus to suffer anyway. I want you to suffer for the sins of all mankind. Luke twenty-two forty-one. 41. He, Jesus, walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. What's he going to pray? Knowing what he knows, what's he going to pray? Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He doesn't want to suffer. He's a man. Would you take this cup of suffering away from me? Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. 
Do you see it? So I want to do something. I want to connect Jesus's Garden of Gethsemane suffering moment to 1 Peter 4 verse 1. I want to connect the two. Here's the point today. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, church, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. In that garden of Gethsemane moment, Jesus was finished with sin. You got to understand this. In that moment, when he said out of his mouth, Father, would you remove this cup of suffering? I don't want to suffer, but I submit myself to your will. I, I, I agree to do whatever you ask of me. He is finished with sin. He is overcome. Because he's in the flesh. He's in the flesh. He is, under, over, he, is, he is finished with sin. Do you see it? Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 again. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had. You must be ready to suffer, church. For if you have suffered physical pain, physically for Christ, you're finished with sin. Satan had no more power over the last Adam. He wasn't afraid to die. Do you understand? He wasn't afraid to die. Can you see Daniel in Babylon? Can you see Paul before Emperor Nero? Daniel in Babylon, I'm going to pray to God. I'm facing this direction, following my God this way. Everybody else is going that way. But he wasn't afraid to die. So he prayed knowing in advance that he was violating the king's order. Can you see the Apostle Paul in front of Emperor Nero? He preached the gospel. And if he would deny Christ, he could save his life. But denying Christ is to become a Babylonian. Daniel, you can become a Babylonian and live. Paul, you, you can become a Babylonian and live. But Babylon's going to fall. Then what? Then you will die an eternal death. In that moment, Jesus in the garden, the woman's seed crushed the serpent's head, fulfilling Genesis 3. Let me read it to you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he, the Messiah, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is where we come into the story of suffering. When God takes us into the garden to test our faith, and test our perseverance. Nobody wants to be tested with suffering. I don't want to be tested with suffering. Listen carefully. James 1 verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You are finished with sin. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again. No. It means sin can no longer be your master. 
So let me ask all of you a question. Did Jesus believe in the resurrection of the dead? When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's in great suffering, when he asked the father to remove the cup of suffering and submitted to the will of the father to go to the cross, did he believe in the resurrection of the dead? Yes, yes. Do you? Then why would you be afraid to die? There you go. Babylonians are afraid to die. You know, I found talk to be the cheapest thing in the human community. Talk. You can say who you think you are all day long. But when testing comes into your life, you find yourself in suffering, physical, emotional, spiritual suffering. You're going to find out who you are. We all do. All of us do. Yes. There can be great suffering before we experience the resurrection of the dead. Church, are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? There can be great suffering ahead of the church. I'm talking about us today, right now. Do you understand that? Some of you are not prepared for that. God is shaping us right now for eternity. You're going to be you in heaven. And whatever he does to you here will create the person you're going to be when you get to heaven. And he's doing that through suffering. It shapes your life. It shapes your character, your endurance, your perseverance, your faith. Daniel turned the Babylonian's king, Nebuchadnezzar, into a believer in God of Abraham. Do you understand why it's so important that we are still here? Well, why, why is the church still here? We're going this way and all the Babylonians are going this way and we're passing each other in life. Why are we still here? Why was Daniel put in Babylon? Because while Daniel was in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar got to know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. And that doesn't even include those wise men that came from the east when Jesus was born in Bethlehem looking for a star, looking for a king of the Jews. I'm still convinced to this day that that came from Daniel living in Babylon 500 years before, telling them about the Messiah that would one day come to the earth. That's us. We're in the story. We're in Babylon for a reason. The testing, the suffering is to make us victorious, not to destroy us. These Garden of Gethsemane moments are there to turn our faith into pure gold of great value to God. Yes, there's going to be suffering between now and the finish line. Yes. Church, are you ready to suffer for the cause of Christ? Or do you think it's easier to become Babylonian and go along? Babylon's going to fall. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, 
an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day. How much longer till the last day? Which is ready to be revealed. What? This glorious salvation on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, church. There's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine, that you're real, that you're not a faker. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Why the suffering? For the joy that is set before us and the purification of our faith. Now listen carefully. I declare to you today, Babylon is falling. The present world we know as Babylon is falling. The foundations are crumbling. Some of you can see it. Some of you have no clue whatsoever what I'm talking about. And the kingdom of Christ is coming. Ignore it to your own peril. Babylon is falling. And the kingdom of Christ is coming. Why suffering? For the joy that is set before us and the purification of our faith. Hebrews 1, uh, Hebrews 12, excuse me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us, church, run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he, Jesus, is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you, church, won't become weary and give up. And after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as one of his own children. Whoever heard of a child who has never been disciplined by his father? Why the suffering? To purify your faith so that we can share in his glory. I declare again to you, Babylon is falling and the kingdom of Christ is coming. Ignore this to your own peril. Some of you hear me today and you understand it. Some of you, your face is so deep in Facebook. Your face is so deep in TikTok 
that you have no clue that the foundations of society, the foundations of the world that we live in, Babylon is falling and the kingdom of Christ is coming. Ignore this to your peril. 1 Peter 4.12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. Why the suffering? For the joy that is awaiting us. I declare to you, Babylon is falling. And the kingdom of Christ is coming. Ignore this to your own peril. 1 Peter 1.16 So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. So here's my closing. Some of y'all are glad this is coming. Jesus suffered. This picture. Jesus suffered. And the followers of Jesus will also suffer. There's a suffering physical, spiritual, and emotional. I'm not sure what lies ahead for the church. I know this. Babylon is falling. The foundations have broken. The whole world has gone into a state of disaster. How long will it take to play out? Nobody knows except God. I'm not sure what's coming for us, but I know this. Are you ready? It's going to get harder and harder and harder for Christians to stand in Babylon. They want you to go along to get along. And I want you to understand that from this day forward, Babylon wants you, the church, to go along, to get along so that you won't suffer in the opposition of Babylon's culture. And if you knew that beforehand, you could prepare for that if you believed it. For the joy that was before him, Jesus was willing to suffer. For the joy that is before the church, we are willing to suffer. God might put us in that garden moment of suffering, and the answer for us, church, will be the exact same answer it was for Jesus. God might put you in a time of testing where you're going to have to figure out who you are and what you believe. But the answer's the same as Jesus. Matthew 26, 39. It has to be our answer too. He went a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. It's okay. Pray that first. I encourage you. Pray it first. Pray it first. As long as you follow it up with this. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This is the most exciting part of today's suffering message. When you get to the point in your garden moment of suffering with God, this next part is the closing in more ways than one. The first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had. Be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. 
You won't, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It just means sin will no longer be your master. Do you understand, church, that overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord? Overwhelming victory over Satan, the one that is cast down to the earth. Why the suffering? For the joy that is set before us. I declare to you again, Babylon is falling and the kingdom of Christ is coming. Ignore this to your own peril today. In Revelation chapter 14, then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is falling! The great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then what does Babylon want the church to do? Join us in the passionate immorality. Join us. Go with us. But Babylon is fallen. And if you join them, you reject your only hope to survive the fall of Babylon. If you go with Babylon, you're going to get what Babylon gets. You must go along with Babylon to get along with Babylon. Babylon has fallen. And church, let me remind you, you are not the Babylonians. You didn't store up for your treasure, yourself treasure in, in Babylon. You stored up for yourselves treasure in the kingdom of heaven. Babylon's destruction will come suddenly. And I say to you what Noah said, it's going to rain. When Noah said it's going to rain, you know what he's saying? The judgment of God is coming upon the earth. It's going to rain. And in the time of Noah, there was a moment in human time that it wasn't raining. And then in the next moment, it was raining. And the gap between those two moments was so short that no man could survive the gap. It happened suddenly. It happened in a moment when the rain started, the door was closed. Jesus says it's going to be like that again, like it was in the days of Noah. It's going to rain. Are you prepared for that? Babylon's destruction will come suddenly. Revelation 18, 9. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with Babylon... And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury of Babylon will mourn for Babylon as they see the smoke rising from Babylon's charred remains. What do you think it means? They will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment, Babylon. They will cry, how horrible, how terrible, how terrible for her. Oh, Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, some translations say in a single hour, God's judgment came to you. 
Christians are Daniels living in Babylon. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is opposition. But we, like Daniel, know something that the Babylonian dwellers don't know. This is what God revealed to Daniel while he lived in Babylon. And this is what God has revealed to his bride, the church, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Daniel 2.44, the revelation of God to Daniel in Babylon, about Babylon of the future. During the reign of those kings, the Gentile kingdoms of men, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It, this new kingdom of Christ, it will crush all the kingdoms of man into nothingness. And this new kingdom, it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut out of the mountain. Though not by human hands that will, that, that, that crush to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He was showing what will happen in the future. The dream is true. And the meaning is certain. Babylon is falling. The kingdom of Christ is coming. Overwhelming victory is ours because we have become the blood-bought children of the Most High God. We shared in His suffering, and we will one day share in His glory. Yes, Babylon will fall, but we have a place in the eternal kingdom of Christ. And nothing will ever be able to separate us from him. Do you believe that, church? In Romans 8.35, last scripture, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have to face calamity? If we have to face persecution? If in the future we get hungry or destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened by Babylonians about death? Does it mean he no longer loves us? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all the suffering that ever happened in Babylon, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Babylon is falling. And you know what frightens me? Many in the church, you have no clue. You have no clue. I don't know how much longer. I don't know how long it'll take to play out. I do believe the events of October 7th are pivotal. And I look around the room today, and what is your source of truth? How did I conclude today's message? From here. It's all in here. All of it's in here. If you have the Holy Spirit and open this thing up, you know what? He'll speak to you through this. Or you can go to TikTok. You can go to Facebook. You can go to Google. Even hunt out some artificial intelligence. And they'll all be from Babylon. They will all be Babylonian teaching. And today I declare to you, Babylon is falling. It's falling. The world is shaking. How much longer? I don't know. 
it might get really hard to be a Christian in the days that between now and the return of Christ. My message today is that you knew, if you knew that in advance, you could prepare for that. You would steal your faith. You'd set your face like flint on following after Jesus and you wouldn't turn to the right or left. You sure wouldn't look back and you're sure not going to become a Babylonian. And what Babylon wants you to do is go along with them. To participate in their adultery and their idolatry and their pagan sexuality and go along with us. And you would in essence be giving up your life and your soul. Babylon's falling and the kingdom of Christ is coming. And the church of all people should be what? Excited. Excited. We've been, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what the real church has been hoping and praying for. Because we're not Babylonians. We're not from Babylonia. We're the blood-bought children of the Most High God. So we're going to sing a song. It's an invitation time. And I have no idea what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart today. I know this. I had to preach this message. I had to preach this message. What happens now? It's on you. It's on you. Every one of us will bear responsibility for ourselves. Does Jesus live inside of you right now? Right now? Right now, this moment? Is it yes or no? And if he's inside of you, you are not from Babylon. You used to be from Babylon. Now you're a blood-bought child of the Most High God. So when you sing this song, sing this song. I mean, this is celebration time. And if you are not, if Jesus does not live inside of you, today he opens wide his arms to receive you, to baptize you, to bring you like he did Noah out of the water of the judgment into the family of God. Today, the door's open. Let's stand. Let's sing together.